Good morning. Welcome to Grace. <laughs> Grace is a gift from God. We're being gracious. Hey, growing up, guys, I was pretty chunky. No, I was just right out fat. As a matter of fact, growing up, my nickname was El Gordo. My family put that nickname on me. Now, if you're little, like one or two or even three years old, and you're called El Gordo, well, that's cute, right? But 13, 14, 15 years old, you're called El Gordo, that's hurtful. But they used to call me El Gordo. And I hated that. One of the things that I hated was that every year for a Christmas play, guess who got chosen to play Santa Claus? <laughs> hated it. You know what else I hated? I hated losing. Man, did I hate it. I was such a sore loser. I have an older brother, and when we grew growing up, we would play sports, play races, touch, whatever. And every time I lost, I'd go to my mom and cry. I didn't win again. So my mom would come to my brother and say, hey, give him a break. Show him grace. Show him mercy. Pobrecito, está gordito. And my brother said, no, 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 he lost fair and square. The just thing to do, the fair thing to do, the right thing to do is for him to lose. It's not my fault. He's gordito. See, in my mom's eyes, because where she was at, she felt mercy, compassion towards me. So in her eyes, she thought it was right for my brother to show me grace. But in my brother's eyes, he thought, wait, the right thing to do. He lost fair and square. So that's what he should live with. And if we're honest, depending on our circumstances, we get to decide what's just and what is merciful and showing grace, right? Now think about it for a little bit. When someone harms you, let's say you're in an accident, someone wrecks into you on, hey, you wrecked into my car, you owe me. The just thing to do is to pay for the damages, right? But on the flip side, if you harm somebody, then you want that person, hey, show me grace, show me mercy, be kind. So, so when do we know when to show justice and when to show grace and mercy? Who decides that? Is it the circumstance? Let me give you another illustration to see if we're on the same page. Let's pretend that you have a professor, a teacher, who's got 10 students, and he tells the student says, hey, in two weeks, you're going to have a major test. Prepare. Half of the students, let's call that group A, they go out from, for the next two weeks, they just hit the books, they study day and night. The other half, let's call that group B, kicks back. Don't, doesn't do a single thing. The day of the test comes, they take the test, the professor grades them, and he goes back to the student and says, guess what, students? Everybody gets a C. Now, group A probably would go, you're crazy. If you were a student like group A and studied, you'd probably say, wait, 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 that's not fair, that's not just. If you were a student like group B, like I was, you'd probably say, yes, you're the best professor. Thank you for showing your grace and mercy. But ultimately, the professor, in a way, gets to do what he wants to do. He's the one that says, it's my test. I give to choose whatever grade I want to give. I say all this because as we conclude our series on the parables, what does Jesus mean? We're going to see through Jesus' teaching 
what is really just, what justice really is. But then we're also going to see the beauty of God's mercy. So if your Bible's with you, please open them up to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be looking at a pretty popular verse or well, I mean, parable, well-known parable called the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Matthew chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 1 through 16. But let me give us some context. As always, context is super important to further understand God's word. In the previous chapter, chapter 19, we see that this rich young guy comes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, I got a question for you. How do I acquire eternity? What good deed must I do to have salvation? And Jesus says, okay, you need to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You need to love your neighbor as you do yourself. You need to not commit adultery. You need to not murder. He starts saying all these commandments. And this rich young guy says, yeah, yeah, I got him. Done. Check, check, check. Easy peasy. And then Jesus says, there's one more thing. Leave all your possessions, everything you have, and follow me. And so this rich young guy couldn't do that. Jesus knew his heart, so he walks away. The apostles are listening, and they ask the question to Jesus. They said, Jesus, wow, this guy did all these good deeds. He followed the commandments to the T, and he can be saved. And he asked this question. It's super important. Who can then be saved? Jesus, who can be saved? And Jesus' response is this. In Matthew 19, verse 26, he looks at his disciples and says, with man, this is impossible. With man trying to merit their salvation, I don't care how many good deeds that person does, impossible. But then he says, with God, all things are possible. At this point, Peter stands up and says, okay. Now remember, Jesus, unlike that dude you just sent away, we've given up everything so in the kingdom of God, you're going to give us what's just, what's right. You're going to give us an A because we've passed the test, haven't we? And Jesus says, yeah, don't worry. In my father's kingdom, as a matter of fact, you're going to have 12 thrones and you're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. So don't worry, Peter. But then he says this, verse 30 of Matthew 19, and if you have your Bibles with you, underline this verse because this is how he's going to introduce today's parable. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus is telling Peter, don't worry, I got you, but you have to understand one thing, things are different here on earth than they are in heaven. Would you believe to be just here on earth may not be that way in heaven. Would you believe to be first here on earth is not that way in heaven. So he begins right after this, his parable. Chapter 1, Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what it's like. A master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for one denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So picture this. This landowner, wealthy landowner, goes out in the morning looking for a day's work. Guys to come and work for him for one day. 
So he goes to his local Home Depot, and some guys are hanging around. He says, hey, 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 guys, you guys going to work? And I'm like, yeah, of course we do. Hop into my truck. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pay you one denarius. You know, thinking, well, that's pretty good. A denarius is it's a good wage. I'm in. Come on in. Now, it's about 6 in the morning, very early. Jesus continues with his parable, and he says in verse 3, and going out about the third hour, now it's about 9 a.m., he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he says to them, you go into the vineyard also, but check this out, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they jump in. Same thing later on in the morning, goes and say, hey, hey, why are you guys standing around? You guys want to work? Of course we want to work. Okay, jump on in. But different than the earlier group, he doesn't tell them how much he's going to pay them. He just says, whatever is right, I will pay you. Agreed? Agreed. Come and work for me. He continues, and he says this, verse 5, going out again about the sixth hour. Now it's lunchtime, around noon. He goes, Again, on the ninth hour, 3 p.m., he does the exact same thing. Doesn't tell them how much they're going to get paid. He just says, you want to work? I got you. Come work for me. I need laborers. I've got plenty of work. He continues in verse 6. And about the 11th hour, later on in the day, it's about 5 o'clock, one hour left to work. He went out and found others standing. And he tells them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they respond, because no one has hired us. They're saying, look, we want to work. We do. We've been here all day hoping that someone would choose us and no one has. And they said to him, no one has hired us. And he responds, you, you go into the vineyard as well. Come work for me. Five times this landowner goes out to a hire laborers. Verse 8, and when evening came, it's the end of the workday, it's probably about 6 p.m., the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages. If you have your Bible with you, underline this. Check it out. Beginning with the last up to the first. Jesus, before he began his parable, he mentions that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He's saying the same thing, this great reversal, if you will. Line them up. But the other way around, those that were hired first, send them to the end. And those that were hired last, bring them to the front. It's important. Verse 9. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, those about 5 o'clock, they were first place. Each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first, the ones at 6 a.m., they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. Could you imagine that? Now picture this. I love to picture what's going on when I'm reading my Bible. The owner of the vineyard says to his foreman, line them up. But do it in reverse. So they line up. The guys that were hired at 5 p.m. towards the end of the day with one hour left to work, they're first. The guys that were hired very first in the morning at 6 a.m., they're last. And so they're looking down, the guy at the very end, looking down at the guy who's only been working an hour, and the foreman comes and gives him a denarius. And so they're thinking, the guys at the very end, wow, he's getting paid a denarius for only working one hour. Imagine how much we're going to get 
working the whole day. Yes, the lotto. But then he goes down and gives them the exact same pay. Each of them get a denarius. So those guys that have been working all day, they start saying, it's not fair. It's not right. It's not just. I've studied and you're giving me a C. I deserve an A. And Jesus continues and he says this, verse 11, and on receiving the denarius, they grumbled, they complained at the master of the house. The master of the house in Greek is the owner of all things. So they're complaining to the owner of all, saying these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal, the same. We're all getting C's. That's not right. We've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat, and they've only been here an hour. That's not fair. Verse 13, the owner replies to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? In the very early morning, I said, I'm going to pay you a denarius. Come work for me the whole day. You thought it was a good deal. You were excited. You jumped into my truck. What's changed? How have I wronged you? He says, take what belongs to you and go. And besides this, I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge me? Are you jealous of my generosity? What the landowner is saying, I own everything. I get to decide whom I want to give mercy to, a C, and who I want to be just with and give them a C as well. My decision, my money, I decide what justice is. And then Jesus concludes this parable the very same way he starts it. Verse 16. So the last will be first and the first last. Three times. Did you catch that? Three times this great reversal is mentioned in this parable. He begins it in the middle of the parable, and at the end he concludes, so the last will be first and the first last. What did Jesus mean? Why did he say that? See, the big picture of this parable, church, is a picture of God's sovereignty, his grace, his mercy. The big picture in salvation is that God is the one that controls it all. God is perfect justice. Because you know what's just? You know what's fair? You know what should have been done? All of us, because of our sinful nature, should all be going to hell. But in his mercy, in his holy justice, he sent his son. So that anyone who puts a trust in his son does not get what we should get, but gets to spend eternity with a father in heaven. See, church, all of us were dead at one point. Every single one of us was dead in our sin and our trespasses. Every single one of us was destined to hell. But God, but God being holy and just, and he's just. See, God didn't turn a blind eye on sin. He had a deal with sin, and he dealt with it by sending his son to pay the consequences that you and I should have paid 
to pay for our sin debt. When anybody trusts in that, as we just saw baptisms, then we have eternity with him. Scripture is very clear in this church. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes about this in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You, me, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the earth, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, who, who, who has? We all, all means all. I don't care what language you translate. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and and were by nature children of wrath. God's wrath was upon us because of our sinful nature like the rest of mankind. If you do have your Bibles with you, would you circle these two words, my favorite two words in the Bible. Circle it, underline it, highlight it, put little arrows to it. But God, but God being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we should have flunked, but he passed us. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Church, that is the big picture of this parable. God owns all. He knows what justice is. Period. Now obviously this whole parable deals with salvation. And there's so many principles and applications that as I prepared for this sermon, it was really hard for me to narrow just one application. So I narrowed down to four. Four applications of this parable. Four principles. Again, it's all about salvation because this parable was prompted by one question. They asked Jesus, who can be saved? And then he goes on and says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Salvation is like. Four principles I want to share with you with the time we have left. But I want to narrow this parable a little more to get a better understanding. First of all, the landowner that we heard about in the parable, that represents God. God is the master of the house. God owns everything. The kingdom or the vineyard represents his kingdom. The laborers, guess who the laborers are, church? Believers. Anyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ is a laborer in this parable. The workday, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. is a believer's lifetime. The denarius, who the denarius represents eternal life. And the foreman the foreman represents Jesus Christ in this parable. Now having that in mind, let's look at the first principle. The first principle that we see clearly in all of Scripture and in this parable is that salvation is God's gift. First principle, salvation is God's gift. Peter asks, who can be saved? And Jesus responds, you remember verse 19 of Matthew, I mean verse 26 of Matthew 19. He says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You can't do anything to merit your salvation. It is a gift that God has given everyone who trusts in their son, Jesus Christ. Man, impossible. With God, the impossible becomes the possible. We just read in Ephesians that we were all dead. Church, let me ask you something. What can a dead person do? It's not a true question. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. In the parable... 
the owner of the vineyard goes out and says, why are you guys idle all day? You're just standing around. And their response is, no one has chosen us. We want to work. We want to be your laborers. But no one has chosen you. God in his mercy and his love has chosen us to come into his family. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that's what we proclaim every morning, reads like this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You can't go to church enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can never be good enough. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, period. The second principle we see in this parable is salvation is God's promise. It's a promise to all who put their trust in him. We read in verse 10, now when those hired first, they thought they would receive more. But each of them, all of them, received the same denarius. Remember what denarius represents in this parable. It's eternal life. Every single believer gets eternity with God. Every single person that puts their trust in Jesus Christ receives a denarius. Now listen, eternity with God in this parable is not the same as eternal rewards. You guys remember the two thieves that were next to Jesus when he was being crucified? One of them trusts in him. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Denarius, you're in eternity with me. You guys know who Paul is? I hope you do. We've been reading quite often from Paul. Most of the New Testament is written by this guy, Paul, a great evangelist, a great pastor, a great theologian. He receives a denarius, but the thief doesn't get the same eternal rewards that Paul gets. All of us get eternity with him, but based on how we live our lives here on earth determines the eternal rewards, rewards we're going to get. All of us get the same spiritual inheritance through Jesus Christ. But how we live determine our rewards in heaven. I love what Titus writes about this. He says this in Titus 3 verse 7. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Third principle, salvation is God's timing. Salvation is God's perfect timing. Verse 5, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. He did the same. I hear this all the time, church. I I hoped, I wish I could have been saved when I was younger. I've told that to myself as well. Jesus, why did you choose five years ago when I was 35 to be saved? It was a joke. I'm a little older than that. I could have done so much more. But church, it's his perfect timing for his purpose, his glory. And again, the beauty of it all is that whether you've been saved when you were five years old or you get to be saved in your last breath on this earth at 105, we receive eternity with him. His perfect timing. He knows when. He knows why. I love what the author of Lamentations, Jeremiah, writes in Jeremiah, I mean Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Last, salvation is God's promise. Note, uh, God's purpose, I'm sorry. Notice how the landowner keeps going back, needing more laborers, more laborers. There's so much work to be done. See, church, we're not saved by works. We're saved for good works. We become his laborers 
to further his kingdom. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the workers, man, those are few. Let me say this. By the end of this month, God willing, we'll be in a new property. Have you guys driven around there lately? Have you seen the harvest house after house being built we need more laborers God's purpose and salvation is for us to be his laborers and share the good word the gospel of Jesus Christ who can be saved with man not possible but with God all things are possible See, at God's perfect timing, he sent his son to make the impossible possible. See, Jesus, who was first in heaven, having it all, stepped out of heaven to become last here on earth. He humbled himself to the point of death on the cross so that those of us that are last because of our sinful nature who trust in him inherit his first place God gives mercy to those he chooses to give mercy but God is always just God is always loving and God is always perfect I love this church if you didn't know that I love my Grace Family Church sincerely and I pray that we are his laborers I pray that every time we come here and sit here Sunday morning or watch on TV, that we don't just hear his word, but we become doers of his word. Church, there's so much harvest. There's so much work for us to be done. Let's be that church that Jesus prayed his disciples to be, harvesters, to bring others to Christ so that they too can have eternity with him. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for who you are. Father, we thank you so much that you've given us your word. Not just to be listeners of your words, but doers of your word. And I know, I think, Father, that most of us, when we come to church, we're excited. We're pumped up. We go out. Maybe for an hour or two, we are doers. But then as the week starts, as life hits us, we completely forget what we just heard. Father, I pray through the Holy Spirit that we are not that church, that we are transformed, that we are true laborers of your word, that we believe in every single word we read in your scripture, and that we rely and trust in you, and that we go out to proclaim the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. I love you guys. Have a blessed week.